you dream of a classroom where learning is natural? Can we inspire students to lifelong learning? What exactly is the purpose of an education? Inspiring students to be curious, independent, creative, innovative, deep thinking, confident, proactive, collaborative, determined, educated. Rise to the challenge of changing the world. This is teaching. This is learning. This is who we are. Welcome to the Tabletop Inventing Podcast. Today in our podcast, we'll be talking with Alex Huthmacher. Alex is the manager of network infrastructure at 21st Century Fox, where he manages projects, configures network devices, firewalls, switches, load balancers, etc. Before working at Fox, Alex was a network engineer at Sandia National Laboratories where he focused on security and network integration. Alex has also worked at the Xerox Data Center in San Diego where he helped them migrate the infrastructure to Texas. With all this experience you might expect a much older man, but Alex's determination, hands-on experience and insatiable curiosity have served him well at his young age. Alex, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at Fox. Well, uh, you know, I'm the manager of network infrastructure. I still do a lot of uh, hands-on technical work, so a lot of people will be a little bit more familiar with the role of network engineer. So I do that kind of uh, work where uh, I help manage and build the network that a lot of TV production content flows over in order to be sent to broadcasters like your cable company and satellite company and that kind of thing, which then make it to your TV. That sounds like an important job. <laughs> I, uh, I I I remember the first time I watched a couple of things on Hulu, and I thought, yeah, this is interesting, because um, it's kind of a step up from the YouTube videos I've been watching for a while. Definitely, definitely, and it's, it's crazy how the broadcasting side of the world has really gone away from all this analog, you know, video, like you know, from your video camera to the TV to more of a IP-based technology where you know everything's done over. The network, and uh, you don't use all these analog signals anymore. I mean, how big is the network that you guys use? Like, where does it stretch, and where, what are what are the kinds of things that you manage? Well, it's definitely across the country. Um, there are many sites. Basically, anywhere there's a sporting event, uh, there are pieces of network equipment that uh, will connect back to our main sites, which are one here in Los Angeles at the Fox Studios, and then another one in the Woodlands, Texas, which is just north of Houston. And those are the two main sites. And uh, we're actually building out a new data center in Las Vegas, uh, which will be a, kind of like a backup site for the other two sites. Um, but you know, there's thousands of devices, and um, you know, we have a, a large, expensive base across the country just to report news and sports and that kind of thing. So what kinds of things do you do in your sort of day-to-day, what, what does that look like from a um, typical day well, perspective? Uh, well, in, in my day-to-day, -day, uh, I spend probably about 30% of my time planning and architecting new networks that are being brought up. Uh, that goes down to like building network diagrams and figuring out how certain data in one location is going to make it to another location in the fastest way, and then also building that network infrastructure in such a way that you know, if the internet goes down in one place, we still can stream the content through another internet connection and that kind of stuff. Um, then another 30% of my time is probably spent 
helping uh, maintain the current infrastructure. So if people have issues or if uh, there are any kind of uh, upgrades to what's already existing, then we need to manage and facilitate that and make sure it doesn't impact, you know, production stuff, so live TV and that kind of thing. And then another 30% of my time is um, probably more managing the future projects and how the project's going to flow and how is it going to be laid out and make sure that, you know, the timelines are met and that kind of thing. Interesting. So how big is the in, the infrastructure? Like how many how many people does it take to keep something that big running? Well, I mean, the core people, so like the people that we would consider um, here at the at the Fox Studios and then at Woodlands that kind of oversee the whole uh, the whole gig basically uh, is about five network engineers and then a couple of sysadmins um, and a couple you know uh, like Windows server administrators and that kind of thing. And then, you know, of course, there's all sorts of other teams that do, like, development of programs and um, building um, interfaces, like web interfaces for, like, Fox Sports and that kind of thing. But uh, for my team, it's, it's pretty small. Um, but, of course, at each site, there's always local technicians and that kind of thing that help uh, do the hands-on stuff. So. Interesting. So let's, now that we know a little bit about what you do, um, Let's switch gears a little bit. Now, I've known you uh, for quite a while, and uh, my, uh, you and Debbie and I have uh, certainly had many a, a late-night conversation or other sort of uh, interactions. And I'm really curious just to, to watch as you went from uh, the student at the community college to where you are now. And I'd like to, to kind of walk through that history a little bit and so that our our listeners can understand a little bit more about the core of what we try to ask in this podcast, which is what is the purpose of an education, and at some level, how do we you know how do we li- uh, work that out on a practical basis? So, the first time I met you was probably in a, a robotics class that we had at the community college. What were you working on at that time to kind of aim in the direction that you are right now? Oh uh, well, I I of course just purely out of my interest alone signed up for a lot of computer science classes just because I enjoyed uh, being on the computer and I played a lot of video games and that kind of thing. Um, but I really wasn't 100% sure as to what I was going to be doing, but I knew it was going to be technology related. So um, I was just kind of trying to get a little bit more familiar with technology and you know when when you're brand new to the workforce and that kind of thing, and, and trying to figure out what you want to do, it's hard to it's hard to figure out. Okay, so if I want to do this, what kind of knowledge do I need? And uh, you know, there's kind of all these generic things you can go after, like computer science and programming and that kind of stuff. But it, those things may not directly relate to what you end up actually doing. So, um, so yeah, I was just kind of doing the generic computer science kind of you know, trying to learn how to program a little bit and that kind of thing uh, just to get me in the right direction because I, I knew I wanted to be in a technology-focused role when I, you know, joined the workforce. So you were just doing things that were interesting to you, so it sounds like. You you, you kind of like programming, you like video games, and all of that sounded interesting, so you took some programming classes, et cetera. Now, there were some other things that, that, I, that we've talked about that, that I didn't hear you mention. Um, there are some certifications and things like that. How did you, how did you prepare for that? 
Well, well, luckily I had a, a really good mentor, and I think that's like the key to getting into a lot of uh, a lot of job roles and that kind of thing is having a really good mentor. Uh, someone you know that I worked with uh, at, a, at a small uh, uh, doctor's office actually put me onto the certification track, and so uh, there were some classes in, in the community college, but not a whole lot when it came to networking. Uh, nothing super focused on that. But uh, my friend uh, and my my mentor, who was actually my boss at the time, uh, convinced me that certifications were definitely the path to go down in order to uh, you know get into the field that I was really interested into, which is networking. So the the certifications really, I mean, once I started studying for them, it, it really helped me focus what I enjoyed doing because. Um, you know, I started with the Cisco certification track, and those are highly focused in networking, and that's when I really started to get a passion for what I actually do. Um, and, and the certification process is really non-structured. Um, it's really just go out and study, and if you can pass this test, then you get a certification, and, you know, it's on your timetable, and you can spend as much as you want to on it. And... Uh, once you have it, you basically have proven that you've gotten a certain skill set that, that now can be applied in the workforce. So what kinds of things do you have to, to read or study uh, to get the right types of information? Do you have to do any hands-on training? What, what, what do you need to do to prepare for these types of certifications? Well, you know, they always have tier them from, like, you know, the easiest to the hardest. And, and if you, you want to start at the easiest, and through the, from the easiest certification, you can pretty much read the provided books, which uh, Cisco provides or whoever is doing the certification usually provides some kind of press book that you can buy and read. And then also there's you know, a plethora of video training out there that you can watch. Uh, CBT Nuggets is one of them, and that's the one I learned my very first certification through, and they were amazing. Um, and then also I just actually sat down with some equipment that the books were referring to. I actually uh, purchased some equipment. Um, and started practicing and playing with it and trying to do the examples the book would give. And, and that's how I basically was able to pass my test is through the book learning, which is actually you, you really need to learn a lot out of the book, um, basically the theory and how things operate and uh, that kind of thing. And then you use the videos to help kind of convert that over the practical knowledge and then I would use the uh, practical knowledge to actually try out my own little labs with the equipment that I purchased. So you started off with uh, books, internet resources. Now, I did have one short question about the, the videos you watched. Were those uh, like YouTube type, go log into a website somewhere, or is that like a subscription base? Um, At that time, um, you know, there weren't a whole lot of YouTube resources or anything like that. Uh, it wasn't free, that's for sure. Um, but, you know, they're fairly affordable now. And uh, it's usually, usually now it's a website subscription that you would get. And, and, uh, but back then I, uh, I actually was just borrowing them from a friend. So that, that, that worked out for me. But uh, uh, you, you can go online and find, you know, video training on basically how to pass your certification. But if you can pass that certification, then you've definitely obtained enough uh, hands-on knowledge to, to actually start doing stuff in the workforce. So you started by reading the books and getting the theory down, and then the video to 
to kind of transition from this uh, etheric knowledge to something practical. And then you put that, as you were watching the videos, I assume you started um, uh, pulling up the network interfaces and you know, hooking up physical devices and things like that. And how, how important was that last step, the step of actually putting your hands on the technology and trying it? Well, to actually achieve the certification, I can't say that it's 100% uh, applicable because a lot of the certifications don't really require you to do, uh, in the easier portions, the easier certifications don't require you to do a hands-on uh, kind of situation. But, I mean, honestly, I probably learned more from doing than I would have ever learned from watching a video or reading a book. So the doing aspect really kind of, solidifies everything that you were thinking about while reading the book. And then it also gives you a little bit more experience when you run into problems and things that you didn't expect. I'm going to take a left-hand turn on you here. Just taking that last comment you said, have you been to a makerspace before? I have been to a makerspace before. Um, went up in San Francisco. I stopped by for an hour or two. One of the things that we talk a lot about um, in our a tabletop inventing is this idea of educational makerspaces. So very passionate about that because of exactly what you just said. This idea that you can do the book learning and the theoretical um, investigation, um, put the knowledge into the head, but then the knowledge doesn't really become valuable until you put your hands on the technology, your hands in the situation, and start building or making something. So. Did you find uh, that the hands-on um, experience that you got, you know, playing around in your little lab at home, uh, helped you get jobs or helped you um, uh, worm your way into places you couldn't have gotten with just the, the knowledge from the books? Um, yeah, definitely. I think uh, doing that, it gives you a different, it's better than just knowing how to do something. If you actually walk through it and then you can, uh, and, and you do it yourself, it gives you the ability to almost explain it to someone else. And that's usually what they ask you in interviews. How do you do this? How do you do that? Well, if you went to the book and you just spit out what the book said, uh, it would be very obvious right out, of, right out of the gate. But if you have done it before, then you would know all the little intricate steps that it takes in order to achieve certain things. And that's what they're really looking for inside interviews. So the hands-on experience is absolutely key when it comes to, um, you know, showing that you didn't just read a book and pass a test. So for us, you know, we focus very much on the educational side of this. You know, how do we bring this into schools, particularly to uh, middle schools and high schools? And the question that comes up, uh, or that doesn't come up, but that should come up more often is this question, what is the purpose of an education? And Debbie and I have been uh, thinking about that and batting it back and forth and asking lots of people. So from your perspective, having been, you know, through all of this, and um, what is the purpose of an education? Well, I mean, that's, that's a really broad question, but uh, I mean, if, if I had to narrow it down, I'd say that uh, the purpose of an education would be to really give you more knowledge to do the things you enjoy. Because if you're getting educated to do something you don't enjoy, then it's really not an education in my perspective. It, it's more of like a requirement. So I, I feel like an education is, is giving you the ability to achieve 
the things you enjoy, you enjoy and to find other things that you enjoy. And I believe that would be the purpose of it. You're probably the first person I've interviewed so far that actually said that. Um, but I think I completely agree with you, that idea of, of loving what you do and education being a vehicle to do more of what you love to do. So what, what was the role that um, sort of classical education played in your, educa- in your education and um, sort of self-learning? What, what, how, how big were those roles in preparing you for where you are now? Well, I'm a, I'm a pretty vocal person when it comes to uh, classical education. I, I, you know, I didn't complete even my associate's degree. I, I'm, you know, I have a, you know, I think like 70 credits or something at, at that community college, but I never did complete any kind of degree because, uh, honestly, I did not enjoy the things I was learning at all. And not that there weren't a lot of things that did interest me, but being forced to do the things that didn't interest me really turned me off from the whole process itself. So classical education, I think, is just, um, I think it's wasting a lot of people's time. Not everybody, but a lot of people that don't, uh, that, a lot of people that need to, you know, explore their own, their own uh, hobbies and that kind of thing, the, the things they enjoy, I feel like it really prevents people from doing that because they're stuck with this overarching feeling that they need or have to go to school and do the things they don't enjoy so that they can get a job and then enjoy something. But uh, when it comes to self-education, I'm such a fan. I, you know, I spend, even now, I spend every day learning something new because, you know, I enjoy learning so much about the things that I enjoy. So I'm 100% dedicated to self-learning and self-teaching because it, it just, it makes sense to me. It makes sense to um, to, to spend my time. It adds value to my life when I spend time on myself. Whereas if I go to school, I don't feel like it's adding value to my life uh, when I have to learn things I don't enjoy. So that's, a, that's just a little bit inflammatory, and I'll, I'll try not to take offense since I have a, 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 a PhD in a <laughs> education. But I, what, I, what I will say about that is I, I, think, you're, I think you're more onto something than... Uh, than we like to admit in education. I mean, after, you know, personally, after having been through, you know, a long line of classical education, I I was always interested in building and making things. I've always loved to build something. The more complex, the better. I, you know, I start off by taking things apart and seeing what was inside. And over time, I got better uh, at taking things apart, and that gave me a schema for how to put things back together again. And I started really enjoying the process of, you know, building devices. And... You know, I thought that that meant that I should go be an engineer or, you know, or a scientist, you know, specifically a physicist, which is what my classical degree is in. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I went through all the, the, you know, appropriate classical training to get a Ph.D. and then went off to work for the Navy, which is actually where when I uh, met you uh, mm-hmm. here in California. And just looking back at that, look, you know, seeing where I am now, what I actually was was probably an entrepreneur, which is a little bit different than a scientist. It looks a lot like a scientist because you know the same types of elements. You know, there's there's failure and persistence and you know ingenuity and creativity, um, but the motives behind them are a little bit different. And the the amount of rigor that you take to your um, uh, conclusions is, is significantly different. I mean, as a scientist, 
you know, you really have to dot all the I's, cross all the T's, and make sure that you, you come up with this watertight case when you present some theory or an idea. As an entrepreneur, you attack this from a completely different perspective. You know, you, you, you first look at it, you do a little bit of research, just enough to be dangerous to where you have a framework for where things are, and then you start learning by trying stuff. And when mm-hmm. you get yeah. done, you build this, you build this experiential um, edifice that is based on, you know, sort of practical, the practical outworking of some underlying theory. And there's probably some theory that could be written about your business once you finish, you know, putting it together, but it's not quite as rigorous. And so, you know, you talk about, you know, self-education and then, you know, doing a fair amount of self-education myself in, in business, um, you know, for the last couple of years. I would have to agree with you. Um, the the types of things that I would have chosen for myself now looking back would have probably been different. You know, I would have chosen different classes and different experiences if I had been more in control of that. Um, you know, but I guess I I wasn't quite far enough out of the box to realize that I didn't have to, you know, check off all those boxes. Well, I feel like, um, you know, just touching base on the, on the scientific versus the entrepreneurial I feel like the science, you know, being a scientist and doing, you know, being more scientific in your process is really just a, an efficient form of being a, an entrepreneur. I mean, I, I feel like that the only reason those scientific processes exist and scientists exist is because entrepreneurs wanted to get things done as efficiently and accurately as possible. So that's an interesting way to look at it. Um, I I don't have enough data to refute that at the moment. <laughs> but I've just enjoyed the process of watching different people grow through, you know, their different educational uh, pursuits. And I've just been very impressed lately that those people that really look at their education and own it. You know, for some people, some people actually own their classical education. They they pick mm-hmm. their classes more intentionally. I actually know a guy who went through and um, all of his classes were in biology and his degree was in biology but all of his practical experience was in engineering which was kind of interesting you know so hmm. he kind of wrote up this weird sort of uh, custom curriculum for himself and managed to get a phd with it um wow. you know, for, uh, well, for me i kind of did the you know what was suggested to me and uh, i'm not sure that was the best path you know at the time you know and i've had to grow into this a little bit differently you, on the other hand, started off from the very beginning saying, well, these are the things I'm interested in. Who cares about, you know, whether or not I, you know, finish these classes or not? And exactly. Evidently, you know, there are enough people out there, there there's some very important people out there that believe that you know what you're doing, you know, because, you know, uh, Fox trusts you to manage their network infrastructure. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of a big deal. Yeah, I mean, definitely, and, and trust is built off of, you know, much experience and, uh, you know, a lot of trials, but honestly, it's uh, it, it's something that you don't need a degree for, um, but I think that uh, the degree definitely helps when you're trying to pursue those kind of things. Of the other people that you work with um, in your, you know, sort of group of managers, network managers there, um, how many of them have a classical education, and how many of them did what you did, and is there kind of an in-between path for some of them? Well, uh, I'm kind of out of the norm on, on almost everywhere I go. Uh, so at my current position, I think everyone either has a master's or a PhD. Wow. I'm pretty, pretty certain of that. And, and at my previous job, everyone had their PhD. So, 
I've always been kind of like sticking out as a sore thumb, but I think it's more of the, the type of technology that we work with. There aren't a lot of people that find that passion without going through, you know, the classical teaching and that kind of thing. So essentially what you're telling me is that you kind of took a Ph.D. without the dissertation. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, because I, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I imagine that a lot of the books and things that you read um, were quite technical and covered a, a, some networking in pretty deep detail. Exactly. I've spent countless, hour, <clears throat> countless hours just studying. I mean, there were you know, months and months at a time that I spent you know, more than six hours a day just in, in a book or watching videos or practicing a certain technology just so I could become an expert as fast as possible. I, I think I've read that, you know, in order to be an expert, you need at least 10,000 hours of experience in some kind of field. Well, I basically wanted to do it in 5,000 hours. So I, I, I stuck to my guns and, and focused really hard so that I could, you know, shine above just uh, ordinary and uh, definitely take a lot more responsibility in my own education and, you know, learn as much as possible as fast as possible. Well, uh, we could probably keep on talking uh, for hours about this, but I think that is a good place to end our conversation for today. Thank you, Alex, for taking time to talk to us. Um, Normally at this point I ask uh, how we can uh, keep in touch with you in case people from our uh, audience are interested. Is that something you're willing to do, willing to share your information out there for people to get in touch with you, ask you questions, et cetera? Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I do have like a website where I kind of uh, I talk about some of these things um, and I blog my daily activities and, and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, people can go to, I don't know if you mind, but... Uh, no, no, uh, Net- share, share, share with us how to get in touch with you. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, www.netstatman.com. And uh, there I kind of blog, and uh, you guys can leave comments and that kind of thing. And uh, I think some of my contact information is on there. So um, it, there you can you know see a bunch of videos that I've posted on um, kind of my daily activities. And it, it hasn't been updated quite frequently enough, but I'm definitely going to get back into it. So. Well, now that you live closer, we definitely have to meet up soon. Um, But thank you for taking a few minutes to talk to us here on the podcast, and we'll catch up with you later. Thanks, Alex. Absolutely. Thanks, Alex. Thank you for joining us for the Tabletop Inventing Podcast, where we are seeking to answer the question, what is the purpose of an education? You can connect with us on Facebook.com slash Tabletop Inventing or on Twitter at TT Invent. To learn more about Tabletop Inventing, visit our website at www.ttinvent.com. Join us again next time when we will again seek to answer the question, what is the purpose of an education?